everybody, I'm Stormy Bonantoni, rinkside reporter for the Golden Knights. And what you're about to hear is Game Misconduct. It's the Vegas Golden Knights' newest podcast with myself and Senior Manager of Communications and Content for the team, Alyssa Girardi. We'll also have some pretty great guests along the way. Every show, we're talking hockey and lifestyle while showcasing incredible female figures in and around the NHL. On this episode, we link up with the Arizona Coyotes Vice President of Social Media and Brand Strategy, Marissa Mast. Marissa shares how she created her own path in the organization. Every role I've had at the Coyotes, no one had before me. So it's not like, oh, someone left and I got their job or someone moved on. It's really been creating the next step for myself. She gives us a look at sports social in the bigger picture. One mom even tweeted us like a video of her kid and saying how hard COVID's been on her young son and just seeing him happy at a Coyotes game was everything. And I think it's things like that where you realize like it's not just sports. It's so much bigger than that. And dives into what being a mom has done for her mindset. I think for me, the balance has been everything. And I think I'm a better mom going to work. And I think I'm a better employee also being a mom. Alyssa and I also share more about the career paths that led us to the Knights. We give you your weekly VGK fix. And you'll definitely want to hear the rest of this story. Stands up and the entire back of his pants are just split. He tore his pants. Time now to welcome you in to Game Misconduct. Well, Alyssa, we made it to episode two. We're not canceled. This is excellent news. Very exciting. Can I just comment how much I love this music that we have off the top? Gets me a little dancey. It's a vibe. I'm about it. It is a vibe. Mm. I'm about it too. (laughs) And I think that Alyssa and I, and I don't want to speak for you, but... The outpour of support that we saw after launching this podcast and you guys hearing the first episode was a little bit overwhelming. We're so thankful for the support that we have gotten all over the place and that you guys have enjoyed what you've heard so far. So thanks for coming with us on this journey. Yes, overwhelming in the best way. And we are so excited that people other than our bosses and parents and boyfriends are listening (laughs) to this. So we appreciate all of your positive feedback and please continue to let us know what you want to hear. I know when we launched, a few of you sent along some suggestions of women we could have on the podcast and we loved hearing that. So let us know who you want to hear from, what you want us to talk about. We're, we're doing this for you guys. So continue to like, subscribe, share, send it to your friends, send it to your enemies, send it to your mom. We appreciate it. And especially because this is kind of a new venture for both of us. My background, of course, is in kind of broadcasting and television, but I never did radio or anything like that. I'm not used to this platform and kind of the constant stream of thought. And I know, Alyssa, this is a new type of a role for you, even being front facing. And that kind of made me think maybe we should tell folks just a little bit more about our background since we heard from Heidi. We're going to hear from Marissa Mast here in just a little bit, who is just such an incredible role model working for the Arizona Coyotes. But can you share a little bit of how you got essentially to the role that you're at right now with the Golden Knights? Yes. So my career was really all hockey. It was all I really wanted to do. And I went to Michigan State and studied journalism there. And while I was doing that, I transitioned into more of a PR internal role and then it turned into content. So it was uh, a lot of great experiences. I worked with USA Hockey during college before working with them in a more full-time capacity after graduating and worked with the Red Wings my senior year of college and really was fortunate enough to live in a state that had hockey everywhere. Michigan has hockey at literally every level. It's uh, it's huge there. So I was really fortunate to grow up in an area where there was tons of opportunity for me in the field that I wanted to work in. So I lived in Colorado Springs for a little while, which Stormy and I found out <laughs> after we both started working here that her and I lived in Colorado Springs, not a big city either, no. a relatively smaller city. At the same time, both working in the sports industry and don't think we ever crossed paths. No, and that breaks my heart because that was, well, 
all, I was doing my first job with the Mountain West Conference, which was such a great experience. I got to cover, yes, football, basketball, baseball, but then also the cross country and track and field, swimming and diving, tennis. I feel so fortunate that I was able to get such a well-rounded background at that spot. And also it was my first time living away from my family, really, in Colorado. And I had no friends, Alyssa. And all I wanted were friends. I didn't have any friends either. I know. If I had you. What a shame. We would have had so much fun. I know. What the heck? I know. But look at our paths have converged. It was meant to be. So where where, where did you go right after USA Hockey then? Did you come straight into the Golden Knights or was there a little bit of a lull before that? What happened? Yeah. So I lived in Colorado two separate times. (laughs) Once for a summer during college and then once in when I was working there full time after I graduated. And the program I was in, it was, it's called the Brian Fishman internship. It was a two year postgraduate internship. And I did a year working out in Colorado Springs at the USA hockey national offices. And then a year back in Michigan with the national team development program. And it was toward the end of my second year that, uh, the golden Knights were coming about. So my old boss at the Red Wings connected me with Eric Tosi, who's our VP of comms and content. And both mine and Stormy's boss right now. I was connected with him and then just literally packed up my stuff. He was like, can you come out here in like a week or two? It's like, let's do it. <laughs> let's go to Vegas. So here I am. <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're a part of one of the wittiest and most entertaining social media platforms in not only hockey, but any sport. So I guess it worked out. Good for you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I was also kind of curious just with your Michigan State background, how much you and Max Pacioretty get into it. <laughs> A lot. (laughs) John Merrill, who's back in Detroit now, was uh, another Michigan Wolverine who we used to go at it a little bit. But the thing with Max is he only likes to bring up the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry when Michigan wins. But when they lose, you would never know that he went to Michigan. So, you know, I'm going to be a proud Spartan, win or lose. Max is, I don't want to call him a fair weather fan, but you only hear it from him when they win. Uh, wow. Just saying. We're going to have to talk about this with Max. Yeah. See what's going on there. <laughs> but as far as my side of things, I guess, a little bit is, as I said, my first job out of school was with the Mountain West Conference. And after that, I moved across the country with no job. There's a lot more to that story for another day, maybe, but really went out of my comfort zone to see if I could make it in Charlotte, North Carolina. Had never even really been on the East Coast aside from a trip to New York when I was like eight. So it was a totally different shift culturally and the types of people I was around and the love and passion people have for sports on the East Coast and in the South was really, really cool. And there I became a sports editor really quickly at NBC News Channel, but I wanted to be on air, obviously. So after a lot of just cold calls and blind emails to strangers asking them to watch my tape or get coffee, was really fortunate uh, to get involved with the Carolina Panthers as a team reporter and in-stadium MC type of a role. And I also was a big freelancer, so I did... Yes, tell the fans. <laughs> well... This is, this is the coolest thing about Stormy. My big break at ESPN. Sideline reporter for the American Cornhole League. Oh, yeah. That is a job that exists out oh, there. Oh, yeah. It was actually one of the funnest events I can imagine. ever because people are allowed to drink while they play. We call them performance-enhancing beverages. That's my kind of sport. And it was a blast and really unique because you would have this pool of 600, 800 competitors or something like that, but not know which eight or 12 were going to make the broadcast until like 15 to 20 minutes beforehand. And you had to learn their stories really quickly. And it was just really cool. And it was different. I did that as well as football and basketball and college baseball. And it's just the first time I did like a national event. It was covering professional cornhole. That's so amazing. Great memory. Hey, any <laughs> any experience you can get. Yeah, I love it. for real. <laughs> and that's something that I would definitely encourage anyone to take from that. Say yes to everything. Try everything. There's no right way to do this. So I did that for reps, getting more experience being on TV. I mean, in my background, I learned how to shoot, write, edit, report, and spend time in a in a control room and watch how a show is produced. Like all of those things are really, really important so you can figure out what you want to do. I know I'm kind of rambling now, but I never 
wanted to be a sideline reporter in truth. Really? I wanted to be a host or a feature type of a reporter. I thought that sideline reporters caught a lot of flack and they weren't really very respected and I didn't want to be that. People mute a TV sometimes when a sideline reporter comes on because they don't feel like there's substance. They're just eye candy or what have you. And I thought that until I had the opportunity to try it for the first time and it was so hard and it was such a fun challenge and people don't really realize a whole lot that goes into sideline reporting. You are running up and down whatever venue you're working, trying to track down injury information, have a little backstory on everybody, know the third string quarterbacks, mother's story of how she inspired him just in case he gets in a game all the while trying to make sure every time you contribute in the broadcast it's in a really short 30 second consumable snippet that goes seamlessly with the broadcast it's but that's something that I never would have known that I loved it just become my career path now unless I got that first opportunity and tried it you also never know what you're not gonna like too so until you do it totally <laughs> and that's something I think we both did early in our careers is try a little bit of everything and you never know what you're going to enjoy and what you're not going to enjoy and my current role didn't exist when I was entering the industry it was that's I you know, journalism was kind of the closest thing to content and it's evolved into not just roles but full departments which is crazy. So I was able to draw on my experience studying journalism at Michigan State and translate that into a career now managing content. So you never know where your path is going to gonna go. And you don't, don't say no to anything, especially early when you're in college. Just get the experience. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah. My <laughs> best advice almost always when people ask me is say yes to everything, make genuine connections, be nice to people and work hard. I feel like that's such a good framework for a successful life and career and and as far as just trying different things and seeing where it takes you, I think we learned how successful that can be in episode one, talking to Heidi Browning. She obviously didn't go the path that she thought she was going to. And we learn even more of that in our conversation with Marissa Mast, who's the VP of social media and brand strategy for the Arizona Coyotes. She worked in entertainment news right out of school and then segued that into an opportunity with the Olympics. And that's really where she she always loved sports, but that's really where she found her passion and and first real enjoyment of the sport of hockey. And you never know where your path is going to go, but you got to sometimes just step outside of your little box to find that. So super excited to, to share our interview with Marissa. Yes, let's hear it. It's so funny. I know we were tweeting at each other earlier in the week that we're in the middle of a four game series between our teams and we don't get to hang out or see each other at all. It's just so sad and so weird. I know. And I'm upset because I don't get your um, gummy bears in your press box. Another horrible thing about COVID is don't we don't have candy in our press box. Anymore. Yeah, what do you guys? It's not it's not COVID compliant. So we just have like, you know, these box box lunches. We don't have the candy that everybody loves. Yeah. So there's just many things that are weird about this season. We have to figure that out. We have the <laughs> same us. thing as you guys. We have box box meals as well, like a paper bag. It's back to the school lunches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're so fancy right now. I know. But just because you do mention COVID and how it changed even something as simple as our press box meals. I can't imagine how much that's probably changed your job. Alyssa and I were just talking last week about how we've had to change the way that we approach our content with COVID protocols. And we still get to be in person and traveling with the team right now. But I know for you, a lot of what you have to do is from afar. Yeah, well, I think it's been definitely challenging. And I feel like in so many ways, I'm, I bet you guys feel the same way, but I feel like social's never been more important. So you almost feel all this pressure that you want to deliver for the fans. You want to give them this insider perspective that like we always say, like we try to give you access that even money couldn't buy. So like those um, shots and coming out of the locker room and things like that. So it's been really interesting. Our first away game that I didn't have access and Wes, our videographer who was there, like killed it. So, so far it's going well. Um, but I think it's just had a 
we've had out of a lot more like preparation and less like on the fly and more, okay, here's our strategy for today. And there's like a lot of different sponsored assets. So we have like a road trip cam on our Instagram story that we didn't have last year and things like that, that we're just trying to incorporate in. So it's been like a lot more, almost what I picture, like if you worked in worked for like a major brand or like a retail brand of having like a social calendar, we've had to like implement a lot more of that type of strategy and less just storytelling on the fly game day that we're kind of used to. It's so interesting because I know we've said internally that in a way social is the only thing that hasn't changed that can operate as normal right now because sponsorship obviously has to make huge pivots without fans in the building and same goes for ticketing and in-game is totally different without fans. So it feels like social is the only thing that can remain somewhat normal. And that's, it's a weird but exciting position to be in because like you said, it's kind of showing a lot of people, hey, look at all the value that social and digital can be providing right now. Yes, no, a hundred percent. And I think like you definitely feel grateful for our skill set and our jobs because you've seen so many jobs completely change or alter. And I think social, like you said, has stayed the same. We've we've actually only like added to our team and needed to add resources and pour money into social ads and all of that. Um, where I think like so many other people, it's like, how are you reaching your customer? And for us, social has been huge. And I know you guys really built your team and your fan base off of social. So yeah, especially AG being here from the very start, a big part of that voice. And while through all of this, I totally agree with both of you, how cool it's been to see social itself as a constant, but would counter as well that the way things are distributed and the type of content that's getting the most eyeballs these days is like, it's always changing. So in your six plus years now with the Coyotes, Marissa, how much evolution have you seen as well? It's definitely evolved. I think that's what's cool about social. I always use a reference that it kind of is like snowballed into more work. And so every season there's been more platforms, more responsibility, but also like I started the 1415 season and sponsorship's a great point. How many sponsors now want a piece of the puzzle of your social and um, a ticket sales now we have like a really big we use social media ads and we depend on that a lot. So I think so much of social went from really being in art or storytelling. And I have a journalism degree. So I think that part all came really naturally, but then now there's so much more to it on how we bring in revenue for the club. And I'm sure you guys are the same exact way. And most NHL teams are where now it's just, it's really a part of every single meeting. It's part of the sponsorship plan. It's part of the ticket sales plan. It's part of community relations and how we share what we're doing in the community. Um, So it's really kind of cool to see how much it snowballed and I think for me personally, like starting as a social media manager and now, I mean, I'm, I'm on my seventh season, but now being a VP of social and brand, it's really cool. I think that when I go to talk to students now, I can say like the career path that social has, and I'm kind of, so much of that has been new. Like every role I've had at the Coyotes, no one had before me. So it's not like, oh, someone left and I got their job or someone moved on. It's really been creating the next step for myself, which has been awesome. And I really definitely take my take as a responsibility to help other women in the field and kind of showcase how what we're doing in social really does matter. And my biggest advice is tying it back to revenue and showcasing that to the executives at your team. In your career path, I think really shows how important social has become. Cause like you said, you're the first person to have all those positions and you're the first social manager for the coyotes. And now you're in a VP position. So it just shows how much social has grown, but also how important organizations are seeing social and digital. And I know now you oversee branding for the coyotes too. So it's really been really cool to see, you know, you grow, but also organizations seem to put more and more value in the experience that people can get. And, you know, we're not interns. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not interns. We are marketers and we're campaigners. And like you said, people in social really have to be tuned into every single area of the business. And it's great to see companies recognizing that and valuing that and accelerating those careers. And I think what people outside don't realize is how much your social team really is the dot connectors. So I feel like a lot of times I'm like, 
connecting the dots between ticket sales and sponsorship or PR and CR and like really trying to bring the storyline all together. And so I think externally you see like a lot of the fun parts, the game days and all of that, but there are so many strategy meetings and social media always has a seat at the table. And so I think like as a result, a lot of times you learn the business so well and you know kind of what everyone's focusing on that month more than a lot of other departments. I feel like you guys within the clubs to have a good amount of back and forth, even just talking to Alyssa before we got on this call with you, I was like, so what's, what is your guys's relationship? Like, how do you deal with each other? We share ideas. Sometimes if somebody's using a certain camera and they ask us, you know, yeah. what, what are you using? Like that kind of thing happens. And I thought that was really cool. And it's something that I noticed in the NHL, maybe more so than other sports was that when I came into the league. I had a lot of other female ringside reporters reach out to me about stuff. Have you noticed kind of a camaraderie among the women in social departments? Yes, absolutely. Um, I reached out to Alyssa and Jess at the Rangers and I was like, why do your Zoom interviews look so good and ours look so <laughs> terrible? And we have thankfully been able to pivot thanks to both of their advice. But yes, I came from entertainment and so I worked at E! News and that was like one of the biggest shocks to me was that I guess the E, like our competitor was like a people, a us weekly. And I would have never reached out to someone at people and been like, Hey, how do you guys do this? How do you make that interview look so good? They would be like drop dead. And so <laughs> I remember when I started at the coyotes, one of the first people that I reached out to was Andy at the penguins, who's also now in a VP role. And I think she actually started as a coordinator. I reached out to her about how they set up their content meetings and how she really like strategized for the week. And because of that, that like is completely how we like altered our content for the week. So I think really the friendships have been so helpful and we don't all see ourselves as like in competition with each other. Like we want to see the NHL succeed and we want to see more people go to NHL games and fall in love with the game of hockey. So if I can like share our Facebook ad strategy with someone in Detroit and that helps them, then I think that's just a win for everyone. And I think our, your biggest com competitor really is how are people spending their entertainment dollar? Not necessarily like, oh, what are the Golden Knights doing that I'm doing? Like we can work together, I think. That's something that's been really cool to see that I didn't even really expect either when we got into the industry. Like I never thought I could reach out to you and ask you how you guys executed a cool piece of content, but we do that all the time. And it's really beneficial and it's interesting to see that on social, we're not competing for the same people. Coyotes fans are Coyotes fans and Golden Knights fans are Golden Knights fans. And there's general fans out there. But like you said, if you, you can get more people to watch hockey and more people are going to watch this four game series, then that benefits us too. You know, it's, it's a common goal and that's, it's exciting to lift each other up in a way that you don't see because they're competing on the ice. <laughs> exactly. Curious. What's your welcome to the NHL moment? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, that's like a really hard question. I still say that playing at Madison square garden to me always gives me chills. And I know some people feel that way about certain Canadian markets, but for me, it's always been MSG, maybe because I grew up going to New York City so often. I guess I truly believe that it's the world's most famous arena. And I always get chills when we play there. What about you guys? Now I want to know. <laughs> I think mine was my first game. <laughs> I told Alyssa about this. The first game that I actually worked for the Golden Knights it was my first hockey game ever. So my first hockey game was in the NHL. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it goes so fast. What did I get myself into? But then it was the most fun experience ever. And I've grown to love it so much. Just like the players say, like you have to get up to NHL speed when they come up a level. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. It's so fast. That's a good question. I'm trying to think of mine. I think the whole season, if I can count first season, if you can count that as one moment, because <laughs> that yeah, was just one yeah. long, big, massive blur. But I, I would say the first moment that I felt the impact of what we were doing was around October one here and our team having just arrived literally the month before and how the organization just like sprung into action around the city. And that was the days following that I feel were my first moments of wow, we can do something really special here. And we really have mm -hmm. a reach and an impact that we can use for good. And that was, that was an awesome thing to, to see firsthand. And I think that was probably my moment of, wow, you're doing something real here. 
Marissa, yeah. were, were you there I, for I, that I like game? Played you guys. Yes. And I remember after the moment, moments of silence, I'm returning to our head of PR. I mean, like, how do you play hockey after that? Because it really was so bone chilling and so much bigger than the sport. But yeah, that's a really good point, Alyssa. You started at a really important pivotal time. Yeah, that game was, I forgot that you were there. It and it's the beginning of our friendship. Yeah, exactly. That was my first time at your arena. I think that's really the cool part of, so, of working in sports. It really is so much bigger. And I think what I always tell myself is like, some people save all year to go to a game or to bring their family to a game. And that gets to be our Saturday night. And so... I like try to never take that for granted. And I think this year with like the pause and the bubble and all of that, like has just given us all a really fresh perspective that there's been people who have not gotten a good night of sleep since March trying to make hockey happen. And so like, I keep telling myself that this month, while I really appreciate the fact that we're actually playing hockey, we are able to have 3000 fans in our arena. So even though it's only 3000, it's cool to see some of those reactions and one mom even tweeted us like a video of her kid and saying how hard COVID's been on her young son and just seeing him happy at a Coyotes game was everything. And I think it's things like that where you realize like it's not just sports. It's so much bigger than that. And speaking of moms and new perspectives, you are a relatively new mom. How is sweet baby Georgia? She actually turned 18 months yesterday, which shows you how fast. <laughs> is going. I feel like she's like five months old, but no, she's awesome. And I think that's also given me a fresh perspective of like, we always say like we're marketing to families and we're marketing that the woman holds buying power and all of that. And I think that's really helped too, which just kind of give that fresh perspective of what a game means to families and kids and um, kind of like bonding moments. But she's great. And that's been a whole nother thing to juggle is having time to be like, I went so long in my career just, and you guys know, and you guys do it, but just giving everything to your job and working 24 seven, it being the first thing you do when you wake up, the last thing you do when you go to bed. And I've had to realize like, okay, I have a whole nother, I have to keep a human alive. Like I have a whole nother <laughs> ball game here. That's really the most important job I have. But I think in a way it's been good for me because I think a lot of people who work in social and myself included at some point, you just get so caught up in the smallest details. And it's like, okay, some of these things don't just don't matter. And <laughs> I always say like, you know, like we're not performing heart surgery. Like if a graphic didn't go up on time or a video you wanted to debut at nine doesn't go up until 11, like it's not the end of the world and fans don't know the difference. And I think both like more time in the field and then also becoming a mom, it's like made me realize that like we really do kind of overthink a lot in our jobs and it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's interesting that you bring up just how that's changed your perspective because I feel like there's so many women that think working in sports or working in social or broadcasting or whatever it is in whatever their industry may be that they can't be a mom to be able to do all of this other stuff. It's just, it's probably not going to be an option for me because I work 365 days a year. My hours are insane. Like, what do you say to those women? I know. And honestly, like I was kind of offended because when I was pregnant, a lot of people were like, oh, so what are you going to do for your job after you have your baby? And I was like, what? I'm going to do the same job. <laughs> I was like kind of offended. And then I was like, I guess they make a good point because it's really time consuming. Um, but I mean, I think life's about choices and deciding like how you're going to make it work. And I just like hired a great nanny who's been like super helpful to me. And I definitely could not do it without her. But I just prioritize working. And to my husband, he's like, right after I had Georgia, he's like, I think ha having work like brought you a lot of happiness. It was almost your comfort zone of like what you knew you were really good at. And I think for me, the balance has been everything. And I think I'm a better mom going to work. And I think I'm a better employee also being a mom. So to me, it's only been a win. And that's not to say that the adjustment period was easy. It wasn't. And I think in general parenting, but also 2020 taught us to take life one day at a time. And that's kind of how I'm doing it. I think that's a cool statement though, that you said that becoming a mom and having this has actually made you better at your job because you do have that balance now. And so I got to just be honest with you. I was stalking you online, but I, I call it research. It's not stalking. It's research. It is research. <laughs> and when I was scrolling your Instagram, I saw the funniest thing that Part of the way that you settled on Georgia as your daughter's name was from going to Starbucks and testing different names when you ordered coffee. Can you explain this? 
Um, yeah. Okay. It's actually genius. So I didn't have anything <laughs> at the time. Someone was saying like, oh, when you're picking a girl's or a kid's name, you have to like say it out loud a lot. You have to write it. You can't just like decide a name like, oh, I like this name. And so I would do that at Starbucks and I would say different names. When I was placing my order, I'd say like, oh, when they asked for the name, I'd say, oh, Georgia. I would hear it out loud. I would see it written. And also this is before COVID. So I was in Starbucks and I could like see everyone's reactions to different names. <laughs> and so there are certain names I said, Magnolia was one name. And I was just like, okay, that didn't come off right. Like I just, I like liked it. And I thought it was a cute name, especially for a kid. But I was like, maybe that doesn't work for a 30 year old. <laughs> and so it was a really fun experience because it helped me eliminate a lot of names that I really, really liked. But I just, maybe that doesn't work for an adult. Because I think sometimes you choose you see a lot of this where people are choosing really cute names for a baby, but then you're like, okay, but that boy has to grow up and like, is he going to be a CEO one day with that name? Okay, Marissa, <laughs> Marissa, how do you think I feel? I'm going to be 80 year old named Stormy. Okay, Come yeah, on. I feel like you rocket. <laughs> Come on now. What? Okay, there's there's names like that where it's like, okay, thank goodness she's gorgeous because she's just going to rock it. <laughs> and, and like, that's how I felt about a lot of boys' names. You're just going to have to be like the quarterback to make that name work. <laughs> So you literally market research your daughter's name. <laughs> yeah. And I think everyone should do it. And then I started to feel like a fraud though. Cause certain names, I would just start like laughing and I was totally telling making this name up. <laughs> it's so great. I'm sorry we went on this tangent, but I feel like I had to know. So thank you for sharing that. Before we get too far off track though, I feel so bad that we've just completely ignored your background pre-hockey. And you said your first job out of school was with E! News. So you went the entertainment route first. Then you also had the incredible experience of getting to cover two different Olympic games. How did those opportunities come to be? Because I feel like those are opportunities people dream of their whole life. And it it happened for you so early. I was recently talking to college kids and I was like putting together a deck and I'm, oh my gosh, like if this person came to speak to me and they said they worked for E and they did the Olympics and they did the NHL, I'd be like, oh my gosh, career goals. And then I was like, but really what's made me happiest in life hasn't even been my career. And so I think that's so important for young girls and girls in their twenties to realize you put so much effort into your career. And it's like, actually a lot of other things can bring happiness too outside of your career. Working 7am to 11pm is not sustainable and it's not going to make you happier than like not prioritizing friendships or missing weddings and things like that. So I, back in my career, uh, my first job ever was at E and my first job there was doing new media, which is now social media there. And the hours were two to 11 and my weekend was Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'm convinced that that's why I got the job because I don't think anyone wanted those hours who lived in LA. Like <laughs> at like 22 or however old you were. Yeah, exactly. I was 21 when I started there and I was like, no one wants these hours or this pay Oh, and I don't think anyone knew what new media was. So everyone was like, oh, I want to be like on air or writing for the web. And no one knew what new media was in 2011. So I'm like convinced that I was like one of five people to apply because they called me like right away and I had an interview. So I thought the process, the job search process was so easy. And I like later found out that's definitely not the case. <laughs> um, but so I worked there for three years. And while I was there, I've always had a passion for sports. I grew up playing soccer and lacrosse and I am so many other sports when I was younger, but soccer and lacrosse competitively. And then um, while I was there, I was able to freelance for the United States Olympic Committee and cover Sochi. And I actually remember the hockey games being like my favorite part to cover and the adrenaline rush you get from covering sports that I did not get in entertainment. I would get it sometimes on like the red carpet, but not an average day in entertainment. I did not feel that adrenaline rush. People always compare sports and entertainment that they're really similar. But I think the cool thing about sports is that there isn't a script and like kind of the, yeah, the adrenaline rush that sports give me, that's like nothing else in the world. And that's why I love working in sports. And so after covering Sochi, um, my boss at the time actually went on to become the CMO of the Coyotes. And when he got there, he's like, 
listen, no one's doing social media here. They have a PR team, but they don't have a dedicated social person. I want you to come and do it. And I was like, oh, like, I think you think I know hockey really well from covering the Olympics, but that was like a fluke. And that, I mean, I grew up in Buffalo, so I grew up a Sabres fan, but I don't know it well enough to do that job. Because at the time, I still think this is true. And I hope people listening realize this, but the world of sports social media is so intimidating on the outside when people think like oh I could never keep up with them I could never be as good as them I could never I don't know once you get in it and you do anything doing 82 games like you will be a pro by the end of the year <laughs> I promise you you could go we, we could go to an NBA team tomorrow and be really good at it in a year because you spend so much time on the channels And so I originally said no. And then he asked me to come out and just go to a game. And I think it's what you guys mentioned, just like there's nothing better than live hockey and how quick it is and how fun it is. And so that was like a great recruiting tool to make me come to a game. Um, Because after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And even then I like only subleased my apartment in LA. I was like, I'm going to do it for a year and then I'm going to go back to entertainment. And I remember at the time thinking like, um, because I lived in LA and the Kings were so good at social. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go learn a ton from all these like super smart people that work in sports, social media, and then I'm going to bring it back to entertainment. And then look, seven years later, <laughs> funny how life works. And like, that was like such a career risk. You don't just leave E! News at 24. Like that was something I worked really hard at. I loved the people there. Love, 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 loved the people there. And I loved LA. Like it was a really big risk, I think. And it really paid off. And I think when I say it paid off, I'm not even saying, oh, it's so cool to be a VP now. Like it's cool that I got to meet my husband here. I get to raise a family here. So it's so much bigger than just the job. And I feel like I keep hammering that home. It's really cool to hear about your path because when we we talked to Heidi Browning in our first episode and she had a non-sports background too before coming to the NHL and that's something that we feel like we're going to keep harping on every single episode is that there's not a single path to get here and it's also something I think we all realize that it's not an end goal either there's it's not that hey I'm at the NHL okay I, this is it. Like there's life yeah. beyond the position that you are in now. And that's something you really gain with perspective. And something that you brought up earlier is being in your early twenties where you're kind of willing to do anything to get the job. And then you're there and then it's a, a feeling of, okay, what's next. And there are things outside of your job. And that's such an important thing that I love that you've talked about is it's your life doesn't have to be your job. You can have things outside and that's what makes you better at your job. That's such an important thing that I don't think enough people are told or realize early in their career. It's something you kind of go through the school of hard knocks and learn on your own. And so hearing your perspective on that has, is really, really great. And you probably already answered this, but each Yes, we want to ask them their little rookie reminder. So if you could go back and give rookie Marissa a piece of advice, what would you tell her? I feel like I've said this a lot, but I think like what I've learned from 10 years now in sports and entertainment, like is knowing when to take a step back and like not just fully be focused on work and having that balance is really important. And I think now that I'm in a leadership position, I try to really give those opportunities to people that report into me. And we recently read this article about um, creative rest. There's seven different types of rest and one's creative rest. And we were kind of like talking about that as a team. And you do, that does happen where you, I'm sure you guys have to have this where it's like, oh, like I'm, the right words aren't coming to me or I can't come up with quick creative copy, which I think Alyssa, your team has like a lot of pressure on that because of the brand you've built. And so kind of like taking step, they were saying like creative rest can be like fulfilled from like being outdoors and things like that. And that's what I wish I would have done more of more early on in my career. And now I think I do prioritize that. I won't make you get into all the types of rest, but that's really interesting. I need some creative rest in my life. And while this isn't exactly creative per se, I do have a couple quick off the beaten path questions for you before we let you go. So one, when did this game pelt thing begin with the coyotes? Because those videos are hilarious. They're so funny. And 
weird and great. Like how long has that been going on? And can you explain it to our fans? Oh yes, okay, that's a great question. Um, Insider access. So it used to be a game belt, which was around since I started at the Coyotes. So I think it was way before then. I know it was just like a game belt that was almost like a WWE belt that they handed on to people. And it, was, it always goes like the player voted player of the game. And every now and then they'll do a coach or one one year or one game, they did it to our um, travel manager, our team services travel manager, because he had to like reroute them three times because there was a snowstorm in St. Louis. So they gave it to him. So it's always like kind of like the MVP of the game. And at one of our season ticket member events, someone had that pelt, like a season ticket member, and they gave it, I think, to Oliver Ekman Larson. And it was either Oliver or Phil Kessel who was like, okay, this has to be our new game belt. We're doing this instead. This is so much better. And that's kind of, so that's really only been around two years, but it took over for the game belt. Our equipment staff travels with it to every away game, which I think is hilarious. Like, I really didn't think it was going to keep up, but now it's tradition and everywhere they go, it goes. It's awesome. <laughs> like seeing some of the more serious guys too, put that thing on their head is just epic. I um, know. It's going to be so sweaty and smelly. <laughs> Probably true. Probably true. And then my last thing here, um, you've mentioned you're from Buffalo and I imagine you're probably pretty thrilled with the Buffalo Bills right now. Do you have a, a game prediction for the AFC championship against the Chiefs and how has this year been for you? Oh my gosh, it has been so thrilling. Like I can't even explain it just because when I was really young, the Bills were so good, but I don't remember that. So I feel like I've just always grown up wishing they could make playoffs. And so now to see them win in playoffs and have fun. And I think, I feel like Josh Allen's just so easy to root for and so likable. I feel like there's so many good personalities on that team. And I know doing our jobs, you like look for that now. <laughs> but yes, I am so excited for that game. I have to predict the Bills winning. So I'll go Bills 21 and Chiefs 14. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. Right. You heard I'll it here first. I'll take any... I'll take any score that has the Bills winning. No, that's amazing. And I, Josh Allen's great from Fireball, California on the Cantaloupe Farm. Like he's definitely somebody that you want to root for. I feel bad though, because I find Patrick Mahomes so likable too. So I do, like I, I, you know, I root for him too, but obviously the Bills come first. Well, the Bills really helped me win our VGK comms and content fantasy league because I had four Bills players on my team. I had Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, Stefan Diggs and then another oh guy my on God. my bench so when you guys had a buy I was really hosed but we ended up going <laughs> all the way <laughs> oh man I love that and Cole Beasley went to SMU which is where I went to college so I think there's like so many things I just like about that team so I'm like super excited for this weekend Awesome. Any chance Stormy gets to bring up her fantasy football <laughs> when she takes full advantage of it. It's been weeks and oh. it's still, we hear about this regularly. I, know, I, I feel like on another podcast, I need to hear all about Stormy's background. I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd. So that's all you really need to know. <laughs> but I'm like a big fan yeah. of that show, The League. And uh, my team name was Chalupa Batman Mafia. So Mafia for Bill's Mafia and then Chalupa Batman for the league. And nobody knew oh what gosh. I was talking about. Yeah. It, ooh, over like all really of us. Anyways, <laughs> Marissa, you're amazing. We seriously can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing some of your story and your path. You're incredibly inspirational to so many of us in the space and can't thank you enough, honestly. I'll reach out anytime and hopefully I'll see you guys in Arizona. We can wave to each other from afar. <laughs> yes, sounds great. Another huge thank you to Marissa for joining the show. And right off the bat, I feel like I need to get this off my chest and maybe create a little bit of a dialogue with you, Alyssa, because... I didn't really have the guts to say it with her and I feel guilty about it now, but you probably noticed I was shifting away from this subject a bit. Her advice about the work-life balance really hit home for me uh, and just curious if you felt similar at all. Absolutely. I felt a little seen in a way that what I felt like she was describing it being in your, when she was in her early to mid twenties, just making work her life. Um, 
some of that I was, you know, I, I really related to. And I feel like Marissa spoke really honestly about a subject that isn't talked about enough. And that's how to work in an industry that demands so much of you and still raise a family and be a mom and be a, a present mom and be a present wife. And in a way, I feel like it's kind of a taboo thing to say, like, I want to have a family and I still want to work in the sports industry. That's not something that people talk openly about very much. No. And it was almost hard for me to hear, I think, because being 28 years old right now, I feel like every step, everything that I have done has kind of led up to this full-time gig that I've worked so hard for. And now I have to work even harder to keep it and to be the best that I can be at it. And so I'm constantly working. I'm constantly thinking about how I can get better at my job. And and it's not a bad thing to be driven and motivated that you have goals and you work hard to achieve them. But I feel like recently I've just become cognizantly aware of how much it's made some of my personal relationships suffer. You know, I can be home, but not home, not present. It's like I, I don't have hobbies, I, and yeah. it, which is a weird thing. I think that you are actually somebody who does a really good job of balancing some of those things because you do like to cook and you do like to read like we talked about in our first show and you have all of those things yeah in a way that was something I think I've talked to a lot of friends who work in the sports industry or similar industries where you are you know working outside of the the nine to five and you know more of a seven day a week type of job and I think the pandemic sort of forced everybody to look outside their little work and you're sitting at home and I'm sure it was similar for you Stormy when the season paused it was a moment of what do I do (laughs) because now when we have off time it's like I want to spend time with my significant other and I want to walk the dog and do laundry and yes I can finally dust (laughs) you're doing the things that you don't have time to and once that was all done there's only so many times you can dust your living room (laughs) it's clean you know (laughs) But no, I, I, again, appreciated the honesty that she had about there being, you know, she has a a human to raise and that's the most important thing in her life. And I know Stormy, we've talked about this, um, not on the podcast yet, but I know that I've said, I don't know how I could do this job and be a mother. I don't know if I could have a baby and do this job. And that's something that is unique to being a female in this industry. And we have a lot of male coworkers who are also fathers who were, I'm sure, both big on, you know, gender roles not really existing. But when it comes to literally birthing another (laughs) human like it's yeah like the it's it's different for the mother and the father the father can go back to work the following week and the mother does not have that luxury you literally just had a baby so that's something that it's you know I've talked to I remember once I had somebody tell me that they were trying to plan when they were going to conceive based on the off season. So they wanted to try to hit the timing of the pregnancy or the baby being born right after the season ended, but not too early because if they were in playoffs and it's crazy because that's something that women have to think about in a way that's men don't. And I think that that's so true of pretty much any industry when you are a workaholic type of a personality and you're a woman and then this happens to you, you feel also a need to get back because there is somebody else that is probably filling the void for you while you're gone and are you still as valuable at times is kind of a fear I know that I've heard a lot of women talk about. And an interesting article I read It was a piece on Molly McGrath, who is a sports reporter, and she was talking about how she was open with her journey of pregnancy. And a big reason for that was because of the things that she had learned from other female reporters who had gone through having a baby. And one person she referenced was somebody who I really love and admire, Laura Rutledge, who recently had a baby. And she works for ESPN and went back to hosting shows within like two weeks 
after having a baby and you look at her and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so incredible. You're so poised. You're, how are you handling all of this? And she has admitted that she went back too soon, that ESPN was willing to give her all of this time, but she felt that need. That's her job. That's part of her identity. But she, she did it too soon. And, you know, there was a, a, in that article I read that she admitted she was hosting a show essentially in a diaper because of the the physical effects of giving birth. And maybe that's TMI for this show, but those are legitimate things that happen. And you you figure in any business, somebody rushing to get back to work feels those pressures. And that's something that, like you said, our male male counterparts don't really have to think about. They, of course, I'm sure feel the yearning of wishing that you're with this new baby back at home. But it's just a very different thing, I think, that that is very unique. Yeah, and it's something that you don't hear talked about enough. And that's why we're talking about it. And after talking with Marissa, in a way, it was sort of a sigh of relief to hear, yeah, this is is doable. And like she said, she feels that she's a better mom because she's still working and she's better at work because she's a mom. And... I that's so empowering and women shouldn't feel like we can't have it all yeah. <laughs> because you you should be able to be a a present mom, a great wife and be great at your job and it shouldn't be one or the other and the more that you see these people in powerful positions in these industries the more you see if they can do it, I can do it too. And if they can find a way to, to balance this and to be successful in all parts of their life, struggles um, along the way, like she said, it's not always easy, but it shows that, hey, it, it's possible. Yeah. Marissa, that conversation, I hope you're listening because I can't thank you enough. Honestly, I feel like it was just really inspirational and, and great to hear that side of things. And she is a rock star with the coyote. She's absolutely killing it. And it's been been fun to watch their content I think this week a little bit too since we are in the midst of a a four game series against the Arizona Coyotes so unique (laughs) this season it's so weird I'm still trying to trying to wrap my head around it a little bit but I like it so far do you like it it's it's different I I do I mean we were talking a little bit about this Stormy the other day that Everyone keeps relating it to playoff series because that's the only time you're playing somebody more than you know twice in in a row. But there's not an end goal in these regular season series. Because in a playoff series, you're working toward four wins, and you know we're playing the Coyotes four times, and we could win zero, we could win four, we could win we could split and it I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it obviously does but it's weird to not have an end goal at the end of these series in mind yeah I completely agree with that I will say one thing that's good about it uh is that every game is that four point game because they are all divisional and so when push comes to shove at the end of whatever this regular season is how many games we actually get in is still unknown the plan's 56 but we'll see um but I think that that's really important is just at least to collect as many points as you possibly can to get into the postseason and make that push but you don't you're right you don't have the short-term goal like oh I need to win four games to move on to this next thing but the Golden Knights man to sweep that initial four game homestand best start in history you try not to as an employee get caught up and down in the emotions of it but it's impossible if you can like tell us your tips because it's impossible being around the locker room every day and being ingrained in the team and not getting caught up in the up and downs. So it's, it's been fun though. And somebody to mention, I think we should name Mark Stone captain every other week (laughs) because since we've named him captain, this guy, this guy, how is he (laughs) in on every game winning goal? Fourth player in NHL history to lead his team to a 4-0 start and record a point on the game-winning goal of each game. Alyssa, first and foremost, how do we find these obscure stats? Who tracks these things down to, to know that information? So I'm just going to be completely honest and not even try to take credit. Um, so that good old NHL public relations daily letter they send out had that written in a nice little graphic form uh sage salmons our director of comms is 
crazy on top of these things and will send a text right after things happen. So I'm not even going to pretend to act like I'm a stats wizard because this is not my forte. But luckily, we have a lot of people in the organization who are way better at this <laughs> than we need to be. I'm, I am all for it. Uh, it's But it's great when we do have those little nuggets that we can share with fans and that we can learn ourselves. But yes, Mark Stone, it had, ugh, he's been such a blast to watch. And through that homestand, he had seven points to lead the NHL, which was just... It's it's not bad. Not, so, not too shabby. Again, every couple weeks, be like, hey, Mark, want to be captain? captain? Just send him off on a little... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And there's also two other guys that I want to talk about. Obviously, the Golden Knights have dropped their first game of the season at this point, but the goaltending overall to start the year as well has been fantastic, both Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. They've been as important as Pete DeBoer has said they'll need to be, and starting off the season with a game every other day, it's been talked about a lot, but you need two goalies and the Golden Knights have two really good ones. When you think back to the Edmonton bubble and how there was so much drama externally talking about this relationship and this dynamic and, you know, it was this point of contention to seeing now how everything is working out. And this is what you kept both Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury for. We've had the opportunity to talk to both Flurry and Leonard about their relationship a little bit more and their dynamic. And one really interesting thing that came out of that conversation was that, yes, they want to start in net as much as they possibly can, but that doesn't mean there is hostility all the time. They're not competitors in like the standard way that we think like, oh, these two guys are competing against each other to see who's going to be the number one. That's not really the view that I feel like they have because Mark said, we're partners. Yes, we challenge each other to be better. And that's a huge part of things. But we save the competition piece of it for when we're on the ice and we're playing the opposition. Winning at the end of the day is all that matters. And that's both of their common goal in all of this is that they want the goal Golden Knights to win. And Robin's come out and said, you know, something that he really loves about this organization is that it's not really politics driven is whoever the guy is playing the best is going to be the guy that's out there on the ice. And we are so fortunate to work for and be a part of a team that has two guys that are full go right now. And at home, Marc-Andre Fleury has worn the all gold ensemble twice now. So it's the gold jersey, the gold pads, the gold in the helmet. It's if you haven't seen it, go to our social media channels and check it out because it is the most Vegas spectacle. And as you know, I mean, he's he's won both games. He's worn the ensemble. So what does the that say to Stormy? The dude is rocking the gold. And I love that he admitted that he thought maybe he was a little nervous if the colors were going to clash, if it wasn't the exact same gold. The feedback <laughs> has been incredible. Everybody loves the gold. He shines bright like a diamond. We just, <laughs> we just need him. I can't get over it. I love the look of it. It's so cool. And if you want to look anything like Mark, you got to make sure you head over to the Arsenal or VegasTeamStore.com and get yourself that gold jersey it is a lifestyle piece it is not just a sweater it's not just something you wear it is a vegas lifestyle sparkle baby do you have yours do i oh of course you have one too right yes i we need that on air stormy (laughs) i don't know if i'm allowed to we need we need to work on that powers that be that are listening we need we need some stormy in the gold jersey action the next home game. And people can, for all of our home games, also tune into Fortress at Home to bring the Fortress into your home. So that's on Golden Knights, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And you can get all of the fun things going on in Arena in your home. So you can open up your second screen and watch along like you're virtually with us. So uh, Stormy. Yes. Do you want to get weird? Let's get weird. Let's get weird. (laughs) Social segment. Yes. (laughs) What do you have for us today, Alyssa? I have a great answer to this one, but I'll let you go first. So Angela wants to know, what is the funniest thing that has happened in your night's career? I don't know. I don't know. That's unfair because I feel like so many weird things happen to me. Can I give you just a compilation of funny things that have happened? 
Is that acceptable? Yes. Okay. I have a feeling all of our answers are going to involve the same two humans. Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty are a mess. No. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> Love them. But they're always just sticking random things in my purse, whether it's a huge thing of napkins or straws or whatever. You know what I mean? It's plastic spoons, <laughs> whatever they can find that is readily available. They throw it in my purse or they throw it in my pockets and I find it later. They steal my keys, replace it with another person's keys and then tell that person I stole their keys. It's just a whole ordeal. But... The one that comes to my mind is I think we were in Buffalo and we were having dinner and they're putting stuff in my bag and I get it all out. So I leave the restaurant, go back to the hotel room. The next day I'm getting ready for the game. I'm on my way to the arena. And as I'm in the parking lot of the arena, I'm about to head out and the weather is a little dicey. So I go to put my hood on. And as I put my hood on, all of these swizzle sticks from the bar top (laughs) at the restaurant the night before just come pouring down my head. They're all over the ground in this parking garage. And all I could say was, freaking Shane. Freaking freaking Shane. Shane. Come on now. Can I share my funniest night's moment? Because I will, this memory will live with me forever. So this is in the first season and we're up in the press box and Shane and Dave will usually just pop in kind of to get out of the booth and say hi. And so it was during intermission And Shane comes in and he was sitting on a chair and he just stands up to throw something away. And he just kind of doesn't stand up fully, but just kind of leans forward. He didn't realize that this was one of the metal chairs where the seat goes back up when you are not sitting on it. So no one saw this happening because obviously it would have been like, Shane, you're about to fall. So the seat flies up. Shane doesn't realize it and goes to sit back down and just (laughs) eats it. There was crashing noises, like the chair flew back into the wall and everybody is dying because everybody who knows Shane knows that he's not usually somebody who, like he's very athletic and he's, it was just, it was very out of character. So he falls, so we're all dying of laughter, just tears, but then, Shane stands up and the entire back of his pants are just split. He tore his pants and we are like on the floor laughing. He's like, I can't go out there. Like you can, I I can't be in public like this. Like I will get arrested if I wear these pants. So when I had to run down to the equipment managers and ask for a spare pair of sweatpants to do the rest of the game. I can't even tell this story. I've never heard this story. That's incredible. I think there's a photo somewhere on my iCloud after he had fallen. And we couldn't get ourselves together to go finish the game effectively because it was just every time you thought about it for days after you were in tears. So because your your answer to this question isn't something that happened to you that was hilarious, I think I'm going to have to put you on blast for our misconduct this week. I had something else as our misconduct, but I think our misconduct is going to be something that you did this week that was hilarious to me. Um, So our game misconduct this week is going to be something that happened for game two of the Arizona Coyotes. Myself and Gary Lawless are shooting our pregame segment and we had to pre-record it so that we could get it over Zoom and send it over to our producer before the game started. Well, Alyssa and I share our kitchen office currently, as we mentioned previously, (laughs) and... I tell every I tell Alyssa and I tell Katie who we share this room with, hey, I'm about to start the pregame hit with Gary. So if we can all just be quiet a little bit, that would be great. Thank you so much. We start. I'm not even a minute into this segment and Alyssa proceeds to crawl behind me in the frame crawl on the ground so that she's not seen even though she's completely seen the entire time because she had to go to the bathroom you couldn't have gone to the bathroom a minute prior or held it for the three minute segment I was doing Alyssa yeah I 
I had no idea until after how much of the background you could see in your frame because <laughs> Stormy later told me you can see the entire back of me as I'm crawling on the floor behind her. And then I stand up, still in the background of her shot, you know, fix my fix my pants, and then walk into the bathroom right outside our door, which apparently you can still see you the can door. See the full so, door open. I know. I, I realized coming back, I could see myself and I realized what I had done. So I thought if I just stay over here instead of trying to crawl back, maybe that would make it better. And I then I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do. even be and mad because I was laughing so much. So, yeah. So that is a li- thank goodness for our AT&T I, editors. <laughs> yeah. Darren Millard always says he wants to see Stormy mad because she doesn't get mad a lot. And that's probably the closest I've seen Stormy to actually being mad. She was like, Alyssa, I asked for three minutes of you just sitting still. Just go sit in your corner of the kitchen. It's not that hard. You couldn't hold it for for three three minutes. Like, are we children right now? What is happening? My mind was just absolutely blown. So yeah, that would have... Darren does say that a lot though. His goal in life is to make me legitimately angry. But I don't get angry Matt like that no I think I'll have some tips for him by the end of this bubble (laughs) experience though because I'm learning all your little quirks I'll tell Darren next time Stormy's recording something just start walking behind her she doesn't like that (laughs) actually one of my biggest fears that fortunately knock on wood I haven't had happen yet is doing one of those live shots and having a fan come up and scream something (laughs) or like tackle me like I think about that all the time because it's inevitable when you're a live shot reporter those things happen and I'm like not me I don't want to be a YouTube sensation maybe we'll send Darren down with um one of those pool <laughs> what the, the pool, pool noodles, noodles. just start <laughs> hitting you with it on your next live thing all right I'll, all right I'll accept the, this misconduct <laughs> <laughs> normally these misconducts will have a hockey focus but because Alyssa didn't choose a funny thing that happened directly to her, I needed to I needed to call you out. Okay, love you, Alyssa. Don't hate me. I still have to see you every single day. Never. <laughs> but hey, guys, that's going to do it for episode two of Game Misconduct. Thank you so much for tuning in. And make sure that you listen and subscribe. We are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Review, rate, subscribe. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yes. So get on there and (laughs) um, pardon my voice. But please, if you just let us know what you think about the show, because we want to improve it. We want to, you know, make sure that we're showing and expressing things that you want to hear about and want to learn about. So slide in the DMs, let us know. And remember, as always, there's more game misconduct than you think.